they had some great values and family has always been a very important value uh, that I was brought up with. And um, so that was one of our traditions. Um, having children, we've developed a few of our own traditions as well. One of, one of our favourite traditions is every year we put the tree up at the beginning of December and we do the decorations and one of the children would, uh, and they're on a roster each year, so you only get to do it once every four years, um, and they would put the angel on the top of the tree. Does anyone do anything like that? You have something that you put on top of your tree every year. We have this angel. I think it was made, wasn't it? It was made. You made it, didn't you? Yeah, Jackie made it before we had kids, when we had Kayla, so 19 years ago. She, and, and it stayed intact for 19 years, and every year a different child. And this year what I noticed was uh, early on it was I'd have to pick the kids up and get a photo holding them up while they put it on, you know, and now now they, they can pick me up. Um, Caleb's taller than me, but watching the, the progression of them. But anyway, interestingly enough, I, I didn't know where that tradition came from, so I did some research myself and I found out where that um, tradition came from with putting an angel on top of a tree. So I'll share that with you. One particular Christmas season a long time ago, Santa was getting ready for his annual trip, but there were problems everywhere. Four of his elves got sick, and the trainee elves did not produce the toys as fast as the regular ones. So Santa was beginning to feel pressure, feel the pressure of being behind schedule. Then Mrs. Claus told Santa that her mum was coming to visit. This stressed Santa even more. When he went to harness the reindeer, he found that three of them were about to give birth and two had jumped the fence and were out. Heaven knows where. More stress. Then, when he began to load the sleigh onto the board, one of the boards cracked and the toy bag fell to the ground and scattered the toys. So frustrated, Santa went into the house for a cup of apple cider and a shot of rum. I'm, I'm just reading the story as it was as told. When he went to the cupboard, he discovered that the elves had hidden the liquor and there was nothing to drink. In his frustration, he accidentally dropped the cider pot and it broke into hundreds of little pieces all over the kitchen floor. He went to get the broom and found that mice had eaten the straw end of the broom. Just then, the doorbell rang and, and, and irritable Santa trudged to the door. He opened the door and there was a little angel with a great big Christmas tree. The angel said very cheerfully, Merry Christmas, Santa. Isn't it a lovely day? I have a beautiful tree for you. Where would you like me to stick it? Thus began the tradition of the little angel on top of the Christmas tree. <laughs> I thought that was funny. It's probably not, probably not true, but I'll throw it out there. You can have a bit of a think about it. Um, so, we've all got our little traditions and so on. We've all got our memories of Christmas growing up and different things that, that took place. Uh, certain presents that you may have got as a child. I, I remember one year... Uh, when my parents were, were together when I was real little and they bought me a 10, uh, it was a, like a bowling thing. It was like a long thing and it had 10 pin bowling and you had a hand that went back and you put the ball there and you pushed a button and it flicked the ball. Probably a bit primitive nowadays, but geez, it was fun. Anyway, I remember finding it about two months before Christmas under their bed. Whenever they were out, I'd pull it out, get it out of the box and I'd play for hours and hours. By the time they gave it, it was pretty much second hand. I don't think I played with it after Christmas because I'd already used it, you know, and, and had my fun with it and so on. So, all these little things that Christmas conjures up in memories, uh, that Christmas conjures up for people. But not all those memories are positive. You know, a lot of people find this time of year uh, a very depressing time, and that's just the reality and the fact. A lot of people don't have family around them to celebrate with. A lot of people don't have uh, family around them to, 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 to uh, get them through these times. They're seeing all the joy and the festivities and, and the TV shows and the gathering around the table, all this stuff, but they don't have that. A lot of people have bad memories. Uh, I remember uh, being 14 years of age and it was Christmas Eve and I was in Sydney. Me and my sister were six years younger than me. And uh, it was Christmas Eve. We were sitting around a big Christmas tree with all the family. And my mother came and called me and my sister out of the crowd and took us out to the laundry. We walked out to the laundry and there was my dad sobbing, just sobbing like a baby. 
And they'd never had a great relationship anyway, so it wasn't um, a massive surprise. But my mother took us out into the laundry and I was 14, my sister was 6, 7, something like that. My dad's sobbing and my mother turns to me and goes, I'm leaving your father and you've got to choose who you're coming with. Um, it was a difficult decision to have to make, a decision that children shouldn't have to make. But every year from that point on, Christmas has always had a bit of a negative connotation for me. Uh, the saving grace for me for Christmas has been not only the, 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 the discovering of Christ and my faith in Jesus, but it's been having my own kids and realising that, you know, it's a new generation and we can bring some joy to them and we can, they don't have to share the story or the, the, the experience I shared. I can give those kids a more positive experience. Uh, but I'm not alone in that. I remember one year uh, we were going down to our family gathering down at Evans Head. It was Christmas Day. And me and Jackie and the kids were in the car and we're driving along. And on the side of the road was a man standing there with uh, two small children. And it was pelting down rain, pelting down rain. And we were sort of travelling in a convoy as a family and all the family went out and we got past him a bit up the road and thought, we can't do this. We turned around and let the family keep going and we went back and we picked up this gentleman. turns out that... Um, he uh, had his children for Christmas. They were trying to get to, might have been his mother's place, I think, so the grandkids could see mum. He had no money. The kids had no presents. They had no car. It just he unloaded his story on us in the car. It was very, very sad. And I remember thinking at the time, as the whole family, as we drove home, how lucky and how blessed we were because uh, this time of the year, as I said, it's a double-edged sword. It's a great time, celebration for some, but for others it's very difficult and a hard time. And... Um, you know, be aware of that as we celebrate Christmas. Not to put a dampener on it, but be aware that, that we have a bit of light here that we can, we can share with other people. We have a reason for Christmas that exists well beyond anything that we may have experienced in our life. And Christmas goes right back to something that happened 2,000 years ago that also changed the course of human history, not just for me and not just for you, but for the whole world. And that is the birth of Jesus. I want to have a look this morning at why Jesus came. Have a bit of a look at got to be very simple, break it down. What is Christmas actually about? Why do we celebrate Christmas? What was so special about Jesus' birth? John 3.16 tells us this, we all know the verse. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This passage gives us three things, reveals three things about the birth of Christ. First was the motivation why Jesus was born. Second, the focus of Jesus' birth. And third, the goal. First one, the motivation of Jesus' birth. The motivation for Christ's birth was love. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. It doesn't say, for God so hated sin. It doesn't say, for God so hated this or God so hated that. You know why God hates sin? Because of the impact that sin has on humans, the ones that he loves. Plain and simple. God hates sin because of the impact that sin has on humanity, because of the impact it has on those that he loves, his creation, his people. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The motivation for Christ's birth was love that God had for the world. See, God loves us not because of our performance, not because we're good, not because we're exceptional, not because we're spiritual, not because we pray, not because we read a Bible, not because we come to church, not because we give. God loves us by the very virtue of who we are. We are his very creation. We are his very creation. I love my children by virtue of who they are, not what they do. Uh, anyone that's had children would know, or anyone that's been a child, which is everybody in the room, 
Um, you would know that sometimes kids are a complete and utter blessing, aren't they? They, they just bring joy to your world, a smile to your face. They do whatever you ask. They're, they're polite. They're well-mannered. Uh, and, and you just look at them and go, wow, my creation, I so love these children, you know. But we're all smart enough to know too. It doesn't always go that way, you know. Sometimes we might, might call our child, come to us, and they come running all happy. Other times they might, hey, Johnny, come here, and he'll turn and run the other way and I'll chase him around the house and try to catch him. Or they're not always... Uh, obedient, they're not always the best, uh, well-behaved uh, creatures that God put on planet Earth, just like the rest of us. But we don't love our children by virtue of their performance. I don't love them any less if I have to discipline them for something they may have done wrong. I dare anyone to challenge a parent and go, you don't love that child. You loved them yesterday when you gave them a lolly, but because you're maybe giving them a bit of downtime right now or a bit of leather therapy or whatever for disobeying, then you don't love your child. We discipline our children because we love our children. We praise our children because we love our children. Everything we do with our children comes out of a heart of love because we love our kids. And God's the same. God loves humanity. God loves you, not because of your performance, but by virtue of who you are. God loves the, the man sitting at the pub right now, drowning his sorrows because he doesn't know how else to handle the pressure of the world. He doesn't know what else to do. He has no other world view. God loves the drug addict sitting in an alleyway right now shooting up because that's the only way they know to deal with the life and the cards that they've been dealt. They don't know any other way at this point in time. God loves them. He doesn't look down upon them this morning and go, everyone in church, I really, really love you. Those outside of church, I'm really struggling with you at the moment. I'm not sure, but you know. God so loved the world, the Bible says. God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever would believe. It's not even saying that God so loved the world he gave his son for those who did believe. He gave his son for whoever would. He gave his son for people who don't yet know him, who don't yet have a relationship with him, in the hope, in the hope that we would turn around and see him and hand our lives over to him and surrender to his plans and his purposes. Now, I went shopping. I used to have a mate of mine, Joe Stark. Some of you might know Joe. He's an artist you know, down in, in Ballina. And uh, years ago, we had this little tradition for a couple of years where we would go shopping uh, together for our wives and I remember we went up to the Gold Coast one year and um, we went shopping and I bought my wife some perfume and some th- you know, things that girls and ladies like um, and next thing I turn my back and we're in Myers and I turn back to Joe and he's walking towards me and he's bought the Mad Max box set on DVD. I said, what did you, what's that for? I said, no, this will be Fee. Fee's going to love this, you know. Um, needless to say, I don't think his motivation was her. I've got a funny feeling the motivation for why he purchased that was for himself. Uh, don't think, knowing Fiona's, he would have got hours and hours of endless entertainment out of that. I'm pretty convinced, I can't prove it, but I'm pretty convinced that it was a self-based purchase, unlike God's motivation for sending Jesus. It's not God, it's God loving the world. It's not God hating sin. It's God loving humanity. And Jesus came as a part of that plan. His motivation for sending Jesus was selfless love for a creation which turned its back on him. Christmas reminds us of this simple fact. God loves us. God loves us. Now, the old Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Well, God took it one step further. Jesus loves me, this I know, and I don't just have to read about it. I can see it in history. He sent his son, Jesus, to die on a cross. Christmas reminds us of this fact. And it's this reality that unleashes the power for us to change and become all we were meant to be. I came across a story that I want to read came out of a, a church in uh, the United States. Pastor George Truitt of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas, 
once described what happened years ago there. One day the police reached Truett with a message that a boy who attended Sunday school at First Baptist Church had been accidentally shot by his little neighbour friend. When Truett arrived at the boy's home, the boy was unconscious while two doctors were treating him. The doctor told Truett that the boy was not going to live, that the shot was going to prove fatal. Truett found the boy's father in the, in the back room in a stupor, of a, in, a, in a terrible drunken state. The next day Truett went back and the dad was sobering up. The father would walk the floor with tears falling from his face as he looked at the little suffering nine-year-old boy. Bending over his son, he would say to his son, my little man's better, he will soon be well. But the little boy feebly whispered to his dad, no papa, I will not get well. The father then protested, no, you will get better and I'll become a good man, I'll change my ways. The little boy kept trying to say something until it finally got the dad to lean over and hear what his son was trying to say to him. The son told his father, when I'm gone, papa, I want you to remember that I loved you, even if you did get drunk. That sentence broke the father's heart. He left the room. A few minutes later, Truett found him lying prone on his face behind the house, sobbing with a broken heart. The dad said to Truett, Sir, after, after my child loves me like that, ought I not to straighten up and be the right kind of man? Truett then told the dad, I have a story ten times sweeter than that to tell you. God's only begotten son loved you well enough to come down from heaven and die for you. Himself the just for the unjust, that he might bring you to God. The man surrendered his life right then and there to Jesus. In the months that followed, the man was a regular at prayer meetings at the church and would frequently give his testimony, with tears streaming down his cheeks, explaining that it was love that brought him home when everything else had failed. They'd criticised him, they'd scolded him, they railed at him. They'd pelted him with harsh words because he drank. Then a little boy said, Papa, I love you, even if you do get drunk. And love won the day when everything else failed. Beautiful story. The world needs to hear that. God loves the world. Now, I think sometimes the church is more known for what we're against than what we're for. We're more known as we, we, we picket this and we want to be vocal against this and get in the media against that. And I think sometimes it's an unfortunate truth. Everybody knows what the church stands against, but not many people know what the church stands for. We stand for love. We stand for grace. We stand for forgiveness. We stand for acceptance. We stand for Jesus and everything that he stood for. And that wasn't religion, by the way. It was people. Second thing we see in John 3.16 is the focus of Jesus' birth. God ascribed value to mankind through Jesus. He spent time with the wrong kinds of people while he was alive. And then God had him killed, paying the highest price for mankind, where mankind was at its lowest, underperforming and underachieving. You know, God sees value in people. God has this amazing ability to see us through a different lens. Um, when I was a child, one of the things that my father used to do, uh, and he still does it actually, he'll be probably on his epitaph, he'll be well known for it, my dad used to love going to the rubbish tip back when rubbish tips were free and you didn't have to pay to go in. And he would go into the rubbish tip on weekends and I would go with him. I, I used to love going in with him. We had this old wagon and he chucked me in the back of the wagon. We lived out west. He didn't have to have seatbelts on back in those days or anything. And we would go to the rubbish tip and we'd get it and we would scavenge around the rubbish tip. My dad would find things that other people thought were rubbish and useless and discarded. They would throw them out. My dad would go and he would walk through that tip and he would find things. And he'd grab it and he'd take this and he'd take it home and he'd spend his time and he would put it back together. He might find two old toasters and he'd take them home and he'd pull the best bits out of them and make one toaster. That was beautiful and that worked. 
Uh, he might find bicycle bits. He always would get bike parts, take them home, and he would sand them back, and he would rust coat them, and he would paint them, and he would re-grease all the ball bearings and, and polish up the chrome and everything like that, and he would build bicycles out of it. I remember one time sitting in the back of the car and he found a rocking horse. And I've still got memories of, of probably very unsafe, but we did it anyway. Sitting in the back of the wagon on the rocking horse, rocking while dad was driving us home. Um, don't, we won't be doing that. Uh, children, don't ask me. Can you do that? The answer is no. But back in those days, it was a bit safer. The world was a different place. Um, but I have memories of my father. And if you go to his house today, you know, my dad in his backyard has three sheds. And you know what? The sheds are built from rubbish that he collected from the tip. He collects that much rubbish that he said, I need a shed to put it in. So he went to the tip and got more rubbish and built a shed out of the rubbish that other people had thrown away to put his rubbish in. And when he passes, that's my inheritance, by the way. I'm going to get my hands on all that rubbish. Um, But I don't have my dad's gift. I don't see the value in that rubbish like he does. But isn't that so much like God? It's so much like God. He looks down at humanity. He looked down on you one day. And the rest of the world might have thought you were a piece of rubbish. The rest of the world might have looked down on you and gone, there's too many sharp edges, or the paint's not 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 shiny enough, or there's too much rust, or you're too old, or you're too decrepit, or you, you haven't got all the right bits in the right places. But God looked down and saw that and said, that's okay. I'll take that home, and I'm going to polish it up. I'll take him home. Can't take you home yet. Vic, you've got too much to do. And he'll polish it up. And he chips away at those edges. And he creates something beautiful out of our lives. That's what God does. Jesus, the focus of Jesus' birth was people. And just like my dad, God sees value in what the rest of the world may undervalue. God sees value in what the rest of the world doesn't. And that is people. There's not a person on this planet alive today breathing that God doesn't look at with great love, compassion, and say, you have value, you have a plan, you have a purpose. There's something on your life. There's something I want to do inside of you. There's something I want to do through you. There's experiences I want to give you. There are places I want to take you. There are lives I want to touch through you. Anyone see that movie the other night, Patch Adams? Oh, If you haven't seen it, you've got to see it. I'm, I'm recommending it, you know? It's a great film. It's about a doctor. It's a true story. A doctor who, who, uh, he was, he was, uh, depressed and ended up, cut a long story short, he ended up in a, a, um, an institution. He booked himself into a mental institution because he was suicidal. And while he was in there, he began to help some of the other people that were in the hospital. And the way that he helped them was through laughter, basically, through humor and treating them as people. And while he was in there, he just got this epiphany. I feel really, really good when I'm helping people. And so I cut a long story short, he went to check himself out of the asylum, went to medical school, became a doctor and started an institute where, where uh, they, they give free health care and free medical and, and, uh, and there's a lot of humour and laughter involved and, 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 and so on as well. It's a fantastic, um, fantastic movie. You get a chance to see it, uh, you should see it. But he saw value again in, 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 in people. He took what he had, somehow turned his world around and became a benefit to society and a benefit to the world. And that's the call of God upon each of our lives. God can do that and wants to do that through us because he loves people. He loves you. The third thing we see in John 3.16 is the goal of Jesus' birth. The goal of Jesus' birth was to give people life, to give us life, not to give the world another religion. 
not to give the world the second fastest or the fastest growing religion in the West. How many of you know religion is a killer? Religion will kill you. If you joined, if you came to Jesus to come to a religion, a set of rules, a set of boundaries, something to make you feel safe in life, then you've come with the wrong focus. You've come with the wrong focus. Jesus said in John chapter 5 of the Pharisees who knew the Bible inside and out and did all the religious duties and obeyed all the rules and everything, he said to them, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. But these are they that point to me. But you will not come to me that you may have life. Christianity is about a relationship with God. It's not about a relationship with religion. It's not about rules and regulations and do's and don'ts. It's about knowing God. It's about being reconnected with God. I was just thinking about this uh, this morning. When, when God first created Adam and Eve, you know, when God was there alone, there was no such thing as religion. Imagine this. Go back. You've got Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There's no religion. There's no religion. There's nothing. It's just God. There's no need to try to earn your way back to God, which is what religion is all about. It's about earning our way into favour with God. And then God creates Adam and Eve. And he didn't create them and then say, right, now here's the rules. Here's what you can and can't do. And I'm going to go back upstairs and watch the telly. Cricket's on. Australia's winning again. And just leave them at that. He didn't say to them, there are certain things you need to do to earn your way. They had relationship with him. The Bible says he walked in the cool of the garden with them. There was no religion. Religion wasn't there. You know when religion came into existence? When man fell out of relationship with God. And there was a hunger and a desire inside of man to get back into relationship with God. So we started coming up with all these ways. Well, how do we do that? What, what do we need to do? Well, we need to obey this and obey that. We need to do more of this and we need to do less of that. We need to run hard after this. We need to stay away from that. And thus, religion was born. I don't care what you call it. Call it Buddhism, Islam, uh, Christianity. I don't care what it is. Religion will kill you. Religion will not give you life. You will not find life in religion. You will only find bondage. You will only find yourself being stifled, your creativity dying. Who you are, who you were created to be will be unfulfilled because we were created to have a connection with God. And if we don't have that connection with God, obeying rules and doctrines will not give you the satisfaction you're looking for. Life comes by being connected with God, being connected back to the Father. Ever had a dinner party? Anyone ever had a dinner party and you get everything ready? Dinner party and before the guests come, you, you, you put out the plates and you get out the cups and you do all that stuff, you know? And, uh, your, you, you, your knives and forks are all in the right places and your little teaspoons are there. I mean, I, I've never done this stuff, but, um, my wife used to do a lot of dinner parties and she would make sure that the, you know, everything was set up right and everything was set up really, really nice and, uh, everything was in the right place and that. And then people would come. And the whole point of setting it up was that when you come to a house for that party, we want you to have a great time. We want you to have a good time. That's why we went to that trouble, setting all that, because we want you to come. Nobody wants to invite someone around for a dinner party, go to all that effort and have them walking away and, 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 and not liking the experience. We go to all that trouble because we want to give them a positive experience. And then when the guests leave, what me and my wife usually would do is we'd go into the kitchen, we'd start doing the dishes, and we would usually ask each other, do you think they had a good time? Do you think they had a good time? 
Why? Because we set it all up for that reason. We want people to come to the dinner party and we want them to have a good time. You know what? I reckon that's the heart of the Father. I reckon for six days when God said, put the stars over there, let's put the rivers here, let's put the creeks here, let's put land there, let's put a mountain here, let's put some stars, let's put a sun over here. Let's build a garden there. We'll put the roses over here, the poppies there, the... the I only know poppies and roses, only two flowers I know, but other flowers in the garden as well, you know. We'll put them over here and we'll put them. I reckon when God did all that, it was a little bit like preparing a dinner party. And I reckon when humanity came and he popped them in the middle of the garden, God wanted them to enjoy the experience. God wanted them to enjoy their time on planet Earth. I'll tell you one of the reasons why I hate religion so much. I see religious people who don't enjoy their time on Earth. They don't enjoy anything. Religious people are so not fun. They're so not fun. They're not. They're boring. They can't connect with people. They can't connect with people outside of the church. All they do, and, and look, I'm not, please hear my heart on this. I'm, I just believe that if we want to honor God, enjoy your life. If you want to honor God here on planet earth and you want to reflect the heart of the father, guess what? God set up this whole dinner party so that while we're here as his guest, we could enjoy it. Enjoy your time. Enjoy your family over Christmas. Enjoy the gifts. Enjoy the parties that you get to go to. Enjoy your dancing. Eh? I saw Vicky out there last night cutting the rug. He's, he's, a, he's a pretty good dancer, I'll tell you. Um, hasn't, hasn't danced for 40 years and boy, couldn't you tell. He was making up for lost time last night. Vic. Eh? He, was, he was loving it. He was living it. But you know what? God wants us to actually enjoy our life. God wants us to enjoy. I think it was, um, might have been Arrhenius, one of the early church fathers said, the glory of God is man fully alive. The glory of God is man fully alive. God created this world and he put us here and he wants us to enjoy it. And if we stay connected to God and we make that the focus, you'll be amazed. You'll be amazed how much joy there is to be had out there in the world. It's not a, it's not just a big evil ball. Not just a big mass of evil that the church needs to hide away from and stay away from. We went to, uh, we had a, a, a touch football. I'm the president of Ballon Touch Football Association. We had our presentation night last night, uh, down at the bowling club there in Ballon. You know what? I had a ball. That's why I've got a bit of a croaky voice from talking loud over the crowd and, and on the microphone and presenting awards and jazz. But we had a fantastic night hanging out with a bunch of people. You know what? And they make their little jokes about you being a pastor and, and their little bar, little, you know, but it's all, it's all done in, in lighthearted, Fun and stuff. And you know, you know what? If we're afraid of someone saying we're a Jesus freak, seriously, come on. There are people literally being murdered for their faith in other countries. You know, we want to hide away a little bit. Please. We're, we've got to be a bit tougher than that, surely. But God wants us to enjoy our time here. The goal of Jesus' birth at the end of the day was to give you life. God wants you to have life. And life is found in a living, vibrant, daily active relationship with God. Staying connected with God. So in a couple of days, we're going to celebrate the birth of Jesus, the actual moment in time that changed everything. In order to honour him on that day, we need to accept that love for ourselves. To truly honour God, we need to accept that love for ourselves. We need to accept the value that he placed on us when he died. You are valuable. You are important. You are special. Don't ever let anyone tell you otherwise, especially yourself. You have value. God ascribed that to you. 
And we also need to accept the life that he offers to us as well. Amen? Christianity should be a ball. We're salt and light. If people can't see that, if people look upon us and go, wow, I don't want to be like that, somewhere in the mix we're missing that light bulb of God. Because anybody, anybody that truly encounters the Father, truly encounters the love, the grace, the mercy of God, there's no human on planet Earth that doesn't want that. No human that doesn't want that. Amen? Father, we want to thank you this morning, Lord, for uh, who you are, God. We want to thank you for your death uh, on the cross. And Lord, as we celebrate Christmas this year, God, we, um, we want to thank you for the birth of Jesus. We want to thank you for that decision to go that way and to save us, to show mercy to a creation that, um, Lord, largely didn't care about you, wasn't thinking about you, wasn't interested in you. But you showed us mercy and grace through your son, Jesus. Father, we thank you for that, God. Lord, let us enjoy Christmas with our families. Let us enjoy Christmas with our friends. Father, let us be a blessing to somebody else that might be a bit less fortunate than us this Christmas as well, Father. Give us an opportunity to shine your light this Christmas and keep us safe over this holiday period, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if we had a worship team here, I'd get them up right now. We could have some worship while we have coffee and some... But I don't have a worship team yet, so once again, anybody who's got a bit of worship on their life that might want to do it. Other than that, guys, enjoy the rest of your week. Have a good time. We've got tea and coffee up the back. Please don't go uh, without saying g'day to somebody that you haven't said g'day to before. All right? Meet somebody new. You might meet your next BFF. BFF, is that what you call it? BFF? Best? I don't know. I just heard it once. Bless, guys. God bless.